0: I've been thinking about this lately, this is what I suppose Welcome to the Teaching Ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realize not right with me. So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Deeper I fit in, but I'm no diamond ring like to learn, so, so here we are again, in the book of Acts, the history of the early church. Can you guys see that? It's a bit bright in here, right? And our topic today is that same message. That same message. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, running from verse 12 to 26. Last week we talked about fundamental Christian principles. Fundamental Christian principles. And we looked at the Apostles' Doctrine. We looked at fellowship. We looked at the breaking of bread and prayers. The Apostles' Doctrine or teaching or the Word of God. Manner that God provides on a daily basis. Amen. His word. We talked about fellowship. One of the hardest principles to put into practice. Yet one of the most beneficial, right? We talked about breaking of bread. Breaking bread. Which is the the glue, if you like, that keeps us all together. Or... It's the one thing that helps us to appreciate that which ought to keep us together. I mean, of you know, it's one thing getting a group of people together in a room, but it's another thing being united in spirit. Communion is that which amalgamates us or integrates us. It's one thing having all of the different parts of a car collected. It's another thing, having them all assembled. In one sense, you've just got a pile of bits. In another sense, you have something that you can climb in and drive away in. The difference between being collected and assembled. Are we collected today, or are we assembled? Well, the breaking of bread helps us to, as I said, be glued together, Around the Lord's table, as he forgives me, then I'm able to forgive you. And as the Lord forgives you, then you are also enabled to forgive me. Breaking bread is not a ritual. It's the responsibility of love. Nothing ought to separate us from the love of God, right? Well, in like manner, nothing ought to separate us from the love of one another. And the fourth principle, which is closely related to the second and the third, is prayer. It is that true, pure, unadulterated fellowship and communion, not with one another, but First John chapter 1, verse 3, says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us which we've talked about one another but truly our fellowship is also with the father and his son Jesus Christ particularly through prayer which is vital communion with God in summary of these four principles look at 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 and it says this is the message If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You heard the, the story about the, the cross, right? So many wonderful stories about the cross. About the, the upright vertical versus the horizontal bar that make up the cross, and they say if the vertical is vertical and not at at a 45 or an odd angle, 45 degree or an odd angle, if it's at a 90 degree angle, it's upright, it describes your relationship with God when it's right. When it's like this, kind of lean to the side, that means our relationship with God ain't so good, but when it's straight up and it's vertical. It talks about a good relationship that we have with God. Well, if the cross is up vertically, how about the horizontal axis? If, if the cross is in the right position, that is vertically, then automatically, horizontally, it's also in the right position, right? Now, if the, if the upright, the vertical, talks about our relationship with God, what does the horizontal talk about? It talks about our relationship with others, right? Now, there ain't a chapter and a verse for that, if you like. But, you know, it's a picture, right? And it is a true picture. And as he says here, we have to admit when the cross ain't upright or the cross doesn't have its proper perspective or proper place in our lives, something's wrong. But when it's upright, our relationship with him is right, and that also ought to mean our relationship with one another is right. If our relationship with one another ain't right, how I many of you know something's wrong with our relationship with him? Drifting away from these principles could easily lead to shipwreck in our own personal lives and also the life of our community. We also saw last week that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it, it becomes gross misconduct when found to be in the church. Especially when displayed amongst leadership. Well, using the prestige and authority that comes by virtue of grace for our own benefit is not good. And so here we come to The second half of chapter 3, which is Peter's godly response to the people's response to the miracle of physical healing. Here we have a paralyzed beggar, restored to normal health. Something which he has never experienced, being lame in his feet from birth. Now picking up from verse 11 of Acts chapter 3. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, <clears throat> wow, what a, what a commotion this must have been. The man, it says, he held on to Peter and John. In, in the Greek, it, mean, it, means, it means to hold on as a policeman would a prisoner. This man was not about to let them go. He was determined to communicate his gratefulness. And all the people, it says, ran together to them on this scene or at this scene in the portrait, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded, not to the man, but to the people who came rushing and said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or, why look so intently at us, though by our own power of, or godliness, we have made this man walk? First of all, men of Israel, check who is speaking to you. Why do you marvel at this? You are, Peter could have said, we are the people of God. And our God is transcendent. He's omnipotent and unlimited that means he is all powerful and unrestricted. I mean why are you marvelling? How many of you know that this will preach well in the midst of a financial downturn? That is that God is omnipotent and unlimited, right? But I could ask then ask, I'm going to ask you because I'm in the same place as you. We could ask ourselves Why would we marvel if God was to deliver us through the midst of this difficult financial situation? God is omnipotent and um, is unlimited. Why do you marvel at this, you Jews? You Jews have so quickly forgotten about your own history, about your own God. Your, check it. You're standing here in the temple. You're standing here in the temple of God, completely faithless. What's that all about? How can you be in the temple and not recognize and appreciate who God is? Well, this happens very often. You've lost vision of the greatness of your God. You're here... Worshipping who? Could that be true also of us this afternoon as we meet here as God's temple? How quickly we forget. Yesterday at Tim and Ella's wedding, we were reminded to remember the Lord our God. To remember the Lord our God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. And that verse continues to say something very encouraging. In view of current financial instability. Now when you get home. I'd encourage you. To take communion. I'm I'm serious. Take communion. Communion. Spend some time in the Word, in fellowship with your family, in fellowship with your God, in prayer, based on Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it says in the rest of that verse, but... I encourage you to have fellowship around that verse, particularly if you're struggling financially and you're worried and concerned about what tomorrow may bring. See, this is where the rubber hits the road, fam. Remember the Lord your God. And you can trust that you're going to have opportunity for you to forget. These tests and these trials will come. How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond like James says? Or are we going to respond like these Jews in faithlessness? Whatever your situation. It may not be money. You might be alright. Your job may be secure. But you may be struggling in other areas. Well... God is unlimited. His hand isn't short that he can't save. Amen. How quickly these Jews had forgotten. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk. Not only are you short-sighted as to God's ability, you're also... You're also in a place where you misunderstand the workings of the power of God. First of all, Peter says to them, This didn't happen because of our power. We don't have any. Secondly, you think that God works because of your works. You think that God works. Because of your works. It's a works mentality. Because of my godliness. Or my goodliness. Which ain't really a word. Or my goodness. No. There's only one who's good. And it's God. And he does what he does. Because he's good. Not because you're good. Or not because I'm good which proves why in a minute these extremely religious Jews who are in the temple worshipping need to hear the gospel and get saved into a genuine relationship with the living God. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us. Right? And Galatians 2 describes coming to God in faith and continuing to walk with God by faith. Coming to God in faith and continuing to walk with God by faith. Guess what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2? Well, let's not guess. Let's turn it and let's read it. And I'm not going to put it up. Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 20. With regard to this works mentality. This is one of the things that causes Christianity to stand in stark contrast to all other religions. To underline all other religions. In all other religions you've got you to perform. But you can't bring that kind of mentality to Christianity. Galatians 2 starting at verse 20. I, says Paul, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith. That's present tense. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside, I do not frustrate King James, the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you could gain this... Salvation by your own effort or by keeping the law or by your good works, then Jesus didn't have to come and die for you. You could have redeemed yourself. But the opposite is true. We cannot redeem ourselves and thankfully Jesus did die for us. You foolish South Londoners, who has bewitched you? Chapter 3, verse 1, right? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, having begun in the Spirit... Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Okay, well, Lord, yeah, you saved me in that. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take over from now. From this point, i got it. He says, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles, and this relates to exactly what has taken place with this paraplegic beggar, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, this is Paul speaking, this is not Peter. He who works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Is it because you're a good person and you do good works or is it because you express faith in the God that loves you? Just as Your forefather, Abraham, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are genuine sons of Abraham. Now, imagine if Peter had said this to these Jews. There would have been a riot. How dare he even begin to question whether or not they were sons of Abraham? Well, I remember Jesus did that once, remember, in the Gospels. And they picked up stones to stone him. But like we said last week, his time had not yet come. Well, there is actually going to be a riot in a sense, and we'll see this next week. But I was talking to a good brother yesterday at the wedding who said for years as a Christian, he struggled... Not believing that God loved him. As a Christian. He constantly felt that he had to perform. And when he performed and he did what was in his mind right. He felt, oh God, maybe might accept me. Because I'm doing what he wants me to do. Cowering. For years. And that's such a shame. To live like that. That's bondage. That's bondage. Because then you also feel that if you're not performing, you're heaped with condemnation. Walking around with that grey cloud constantly above your head, right? This is not the way that God desires for us to for us to live, one and two, because it's not true. It's not true. God demonstrated his love for this brother who was struggling. God demonstrated his love for him. His goodness has already been manifested. It's not even like God has got to do anything to prove now that he loves him. Or he loves you. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, check it. For when we were still without strength. I mean, we were without strength before we got saved. (laughs) And you know, we're still without strength now that we are saved. So it makes no sense me trying to do now what I couldn't do then. Because we're without strength. Again, if we had it, Father, you know, you don't have to send Jesus. I I got this. Salvation. Right? Right? But we're without strength. And this is the message of the gospel. Everybody is with not just us in this room, right? Not just the Galatians, the foolish Galatians. Everybody is without strength. And that's the point that we came to before we believed, right? You came to the end of yourself. Like, I can't do this. Well, Islam, I tried for two years. And then find that I have to keep trying. And then maybe when I stand before Allah, he might, he might, he may not. Did you know that? That's Islamic doctrine. He may not, even if you've got a litany, a long list of good works, he still may choose to reject you and you would have to accept that. That means every single day of your life. What, you wonder why Muslims pray the way they pray. They ain't even like they're more spiritual. But if you think, you know, if I don't do this, I'm finished. You see, and, and you see, for us as believers, because we got grace, right? We're like, hey, I'm saved. Yeah, you're saying, br- I'm saved, bro. So what? Yeah, I, I know I need to pray on that, but it's all good. Because God loves me, isn't it? See, that's the other side. That's the other extreme. And they're both dangerous. We need to have what they call a via media. It's a balance. See, when we were still without strength in due time, Jesus to the rescue, Christ died for the godly. Is that what it says? For those who ain't got your Bible, is that what it says on the screen? In due time, Christ, or oh, if you ain't got your phone, I know some of you got your Bible on your phone and it's safe. Hey. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And see, this is good news. Amen. This is good news to an individual who is without strength. This is good news to the person who's trying with everything in them. You know, there are some Roman Catholics that climb. The stairs to the Vatican. How many is it? Like 400 odd on their knees. By the time they get up, then their knees are a pulp. There are priests, not just Catholics, not good Catholics. I'm talking about priests, historically speaking, who flagellated themselves. You know the whip they used to beat Jesus with. They used that on themselves because they're unrighteous, and I'm ungodly, and I deserve to suffer. See, in due time, Christ did what we couldn't do. And he paid the perfect sacrifice for the ungodly. For scarcely, check it, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Sometimes a man might give up their life for someone who's righteous. Maybe. But it's, you've got, sometimes you've got to look far and wide to find that type of person. Right? Yet perhaps it may happen for a good man, someone would even dare to die, maybe. It's happened, right? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, it weren't even a time when, okay, you know, I'm flagellating myself. Or I'm trying to climb to the top of the stairs on my knees in the hope that God may show me a little bit of kindness. Kindness. no we're talking about when we was out there like doing everything that put Christ on the cross you know what they are I know what they are because we done them right we're talking about when we were out there like spitting God's face I don't want to know who what I do what I want, when I want, and how I want. Then, that's when God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, obviously the question is, if he loved us then, when we had no time for him, when we had no regard for him. When we lived in his world without him. Enjoying all of his pleasures. If he loved us then, how much, how much more now? See? This is what I'm telling you. Christianity is different. Don't come in here expecting the same stuff you get out there. It's different. And I was so challenged when I heard this. I was like, nah. No. Like everybody, this nah, this is too good to be true. They say if something's too good, it ain't true. <laughs> this is too good to be true, man. But you kind of, you have this hesitance. I heard, did it, you guys heard me tell a story about a man who stood on a Tyne bridge, giving away one pound notes. Back in those days, I remember them days. <laughs> wow. And people would cross the road. They saw him giving up, they crossed the road, nah. Because you can't be giving away money are looking over their heads expecting some crane with, I don't know, some big 10 ton steel object to come and drop on them or something. Oh yeah, yeah. here's the pound, but you've got to jump over the bridge, you've got to swim all the way down there and come back. There has, there has to be a catch, right? So, it couldn't give this money away. Because in our mentality, you can't get something for nothing. Especially something like, what, salvation. Like, Eternal, like forgiveness for free Romans chapter 5 five times it says that salvation is a free gift how I many of you know if it's your birthday and I come up and I'm like it's your birthday right I give you a gift the last thing you're going to do is say oh you know what I haven't got no money on me right now but what I do is when I, where's my wallet Come and go cash point, and I'll hook you up. Look, I've got my card on me. And I'll give you some money for the present that you gave me. Who on earth would ever do a thing like that? Because we understand that it's a gift. You can't work for a gift. You can't pay for a gift. You offend the giver by trying to offer them some sort of semblance. You know what I'm saying? It's a gift. So why do we struggle so much? To appreciate that God has given us salvation as a gift. And that we can't work for it. All we can do is receive it. And you know what? Receive it and enjoy it. With what? With great humility. Remembering how precious it is. And how unable or how weak we were. To actually bring that about for ourselves. Because we was without strength. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does that sound like someone that doesn't love you? Surely, that was an unparalleled demonstration of love. Now, how many of you know at this point, getting back to our story in Acts chapter 3, how many of you know at this point, Peter and John could have taken advantage of this moment. You'd be like, who, Legitimate miracle. Everyone swarming like, whoa, but that's the bread that we use. I can't believe it. Look, he's running up and down, holding on to the disciples. I mean, if they were twisted, they could have been like, hey, John, yo, bruv. We might be able to work something here, you know. I mean, we got the crowd on our side, bruv. They're eating out of our hand, bruv. Peter and John could have taken advantage of this moment as some have and as some do. Peter and John could have started up their own ministry right there. And that's exactly what it would have been, their ministry. I mean, you wouldn't have seen anything of Peter and John like when you get to Acts chapter 7, 8 and 9, right? They could have started up a brand new denomination, right there and then, and named it after themselves. Now that's the second time I've said that, I think, in two weeks. I don't need to say that again, do I? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Maybe these are the same thoughts that could have inspired Paul to write what he did in Galatians the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up. Wait a minute. Hey, Peter, this ain't the kind of, this ain't the kind of message you, pre- you preach, bruv. When you've got the meeting out at your hand. You've got to tell them something good. You've got to tell them something nice. You've got to get them on the side. Haven't you? So I'll tell you, this Christianity thing is... Jesus, God's servant whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. You remember the other day? When Pilate, this ungodly heathen, was prepared and determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer. Where is he? Yeah, you, Barabbas. You asked for him. I'm not sure that he was there, but you get the point, right? You asked for a, murder, a murderer if he was there. Can you imagine the conviction he would have felt? You, and look, the guy ain't just a, a petty thief. The brother is a murderer. You asked for him to be granted to you, and you killed the prince of life. Nevertheless, who God raised from the dead. See, you must have thought it was over. It ain't all over. They said, it's all over. (laughs) Whom God raised from the dead, of which you are witnesses. And you know their hearts are beating now. You know they're just perspiring now. I knew I shouldn't have said it. Why did that? The guy elbowed me and said, look, just say crucify him. Yeah, all right, crucify him. Should have followed my mind. Should have gone home. My wife told me to come home. After I went to Tesco, she said, come straight home. Bring home the bread and the milk. Mad conviction up in the place. Oh my goodness. See, you are all witnesses of this. Here Peter declares, as I said, which is the title of our message, he declares the same message. The same message that he did a few days ago. You know, sometimes as a preacher, as a teacher, slash minister of the gospel, I have to resist the temptation to always have a new message, quote unquote. You know, we got three weddings this year. we one down, two to go, right? Now, when you have to speak at these weddings, what do you say? I mean, half of the crowd are your people right? Particularly when it's a wedding in your midst, right? I mean it's like Lord, i got half half of the congregation of the people who were here at the last wedding. What on earth do I say? I have to bring something new in it. I have to bring something fresh. That's the temptation and for anyone who is a, a minister in whatever sense, you know what I'm saying? And you have to stand before people the temptation is always to bring something new I used to remember that as an MC, you know, as an MC, you know, you'd have to constantly be writing, you know what I'm saying, because whenever you're given opportunity to to touch the mic, you look around and you think, oh man, half of these people have heard my bars already, they heard them lyrics already, they heard that song a hundred times, that's why us as MOD, we used to, we used to cringe when people would say to us, hey, yo, MOD, especially when we go to the States, We want to hear the revolver, right? We were like, oh man. I mean, it's a banging song, and we felt like the Lord really inspired us, but like for the 2789th time, we got to do that song again. And then look like we just wrote it, look like we're real excited. You see, that's a part of that still rubbing off on me. The temptation to have to come with something new. All right, look, I've got some new bars for you. Yeah. My man's heavy. Right? See, in our culture, let me say this first, there are only a few things when it comes to having to stand up and speak to people or if you're a Christian MC, you know what I'm saying? Deliver something of substance. There are only a few things that you can say as a faithful minister. Now, you might say them in different ways. In our culture... No one wants to hear the same thing twice, right? It's stale. If you say it twice, you're boring. And a constant challenge is to share something fresh, something new. Be like that Hollywood mentality, right? Hey, new blockbuster, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's still Will Smith. And he's still really doing the same old things. And I'm saying, even Hollywood, they're hypocrites. But we're not clever enough to see it, are we? Yeah, we heard that new film, yeah, man. It's just the same stuff repackaged. Sh- where's Shabazz? Shabazz, you know, Shabazz is a film editor slash director slash. Shabazz said, you know, there are only five or I think six fundamental scripts. I can't remember what they are, but like six of them, you know what I'm saying? You think I'll be able to remember one of them? I don't know. You've got, you got somebody that does something bad and they get caught. You know what I mean? You get someone who falls in love and then they, got, they, get, they get two-timed and then eventually, you know what I'm saying, something happened, two-timed, that's an old, what do we say now? They, they got bun. you know what I mean? It'd be like, it'd it be like, <laughs> it's a long time since you hear that one, jeez. I don't know what the plots are but there's only six of them, whatever they are, right? Same. It's just the same stuff, just rehashed. you see, as ministers, we're called not to be, like Hollywood, entertaining, although we may be to some extent. And the danger is that that can so easily become the focus. See, we're not called to entertain, we're called to be relevant which means to be faithful to the task at hand. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that might mean communicating the same message. Like Peter, who is surrounded by people who are going to hell. Okay, so what? So 90% of the crowd have heard it. Hey, 10% of the crowd are going to hell. They've never heard it. So what, in the name of, hey, well, you know what, we just gotta kinda keep it kinda fresh and kinda new and relevant and blah, blah, blah. All right, the curtains the lights go down now, and you know what I'm saying? You were all you were you were fantastic and entertaining and whatever it was. I mean, I'm coming across cause like kind of musically, maybe even as I refer to doing songs in the past, but it's not just music, particularly in the pulpit. Because more often than not, people go church to get entertained. They'd be like, I'm not going back to that church. Brave! I nearly fell asleep through the worship. Get me. And the preacher. <laughs> well, I was there nodding off. And what does that say? That says, you know what? I went to be entertained. And I want to see, Ah! I want to see a full band. Now, you know what? I can't lie. I want to see a full band as well. <laughs> but that's not, but because it's not here, means I'm, doesn't mean I'm not going to come. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't come to be entertained when I sit down with my open Bible. Because you know what? I may get the absolute, imagine. I may get the absolute opposite to being entertained. Like this group here in the text. I mean, if you come to listen to God's word, ultimately. I mean, if you're in the temple of God. Why did you come? You want you come to hear something nice. You, hear, you, come, you come to hear something... Now, you may hear something nice. A lie? I mean, we just heard something nice. I mean, what more nice could you have than your sins are forgiven completely, utterly, and totally. You're not in permanent relationship with me. Amen. But it's coming like if we don't... See... That's the hearers, but how about those of us who have to do the speaking, the ministering? Well, we have to be faithful. That's what we've got to be. And there's so much more we can say about that. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that might mean communicating the same message. As I said, like Peter, who's surrounded in First Corinthians chapter two. Where's my remote control gone? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to Paul. It's beautiful, I love it. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I had a message, right? But I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you. I weren't trying to come with any other message. I wasn't trying to be impressed by anyone, and I wasn't trying to impress anyone, there's only one thing on my mind. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And they'd be like, you know what? Until we've got that dealt with and underlined and in bold, in inverted commas, at the top of the page, until we've got that, I don't really want to talk about anything else. Hey, did you not come here to hear that? Well, later on then. I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Check it. For those ministers, for those who stand up to represent God in whatever capacity it is, it could be just you at college, bruv, with your brethren's trembling. Well, you know what? If that's you, you're in good company. Paul says, I was with you when I was sharing in weakness, in fear. And in much trembling. That doesn't sound like someone. In much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You see where his emphasis is? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God. See the gospel is still... The power of God that provides salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And if we aim to be faithful, not entertaining, faithful, God will flavor it. Like little salt and little pepper. God will flavor that same old, same old stale quote unquote message. God will flavor it and make it so that it comes across as engaging even entertaining in my house we eat chicken three, four times a week the same thing but you know what you see my wife she flavors it and it don't get boring like a jerk chicken like a curry chicken like a stew chicken jeez and midweek we might still even go mauli sometimes. See, what do you do when all that's on the menu is manna? Every day in the wilderness. You know what manna means? It means what is this? <laughs> that's what it means. What is this? Well, I don't know what my wife would say to me if <laughs> she brought out the chicken on the side. What is it? Let me tell you something, yeah? You better learn to whip up some recipes, bruv. Or sis. And for those that ain't really on the cooking team, there's always chicken tonight in it. <laughs> Enough different flavors. <laughs> oh. I'm, you know, and I'm no cook. So I'm, I'm in the same camp. I'm in the chicken tonight camp. If i got to cook, if my wife's not well or she's, she's aware and I've got to cook, the kids laugh at me. I'll be like, what do you, you want to eat? They laugh at me because they know the only thing that's coming <laughs> is what? <laughs> it's corned beef and rice, isn't it? <laughs> a little sweet corn on the side. <laughs> So I'm not hating if you, if, you ain't, if, you ain't no, if you ain't no chef. See, when you become a Christian, you better learn to use your imagination. <laughs> but what we're ultimately called is to be faithful. And you know what? God will flavor it. God will flavor it. Verse 16, and his name, Peter continues, through faith, we're back in... Acts chapter 3 and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong that ultimately is the reason Wow, you dropped the ball bruv you could have you could have cleaned up no that's not why I'm here I'm a clean up when I go home right because that's where my reward is about clean up down here where what where moth and rust doth corrupt no I want to let my treasures in heaven now, you don't hear that kind of exhortation very often nowadays. It's coming like heaven ain't enough. I've got to be like, I've got to be balling down here. I've got to be having this, that, and the other down here. To be held, to be faithful, to be committed. But well, what if you ain't got them things? Well, bond this. What am I getting out of this? Banda. Go find something that's going to benefit me. See? Peter don't shrink back. I mean, oh my good. I mean, talk about both barrels. The brother just unloads the clip. He'd be like, you know them Gatling guns. <laughs> through his name, through faith in his... You see, they're not, they're, not, they're not trying to draw attention to themselves. It's all him, his, he. Not me, my, and mine. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Whose name? Remember from two weeks ago? Who? Trevor from Camberwell. <laughs> Who did we say? Leroy from Peckham. Who? Him. In his name. What? Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> Lost my voice yesterday. Yes. The faith which comes through him. Wow, everything's so opposite. Jesus comes and he's God in the flesh and he comes and he's born in a smelly stable with only like a couple of mangy sheep and, and two, two, two shepherds. He'd be like, it's just so back to front. But it's so powerful. Yes, the faith which comes through him, has given him, this man, this perfect, perfect soundness, complete and total healing, no fabrication, no pretend business, the man is genuinely healed, and he doesn't do it round the back, in the presence of you all, listen, Peter says, don't sleep, On Jesus. Bruv. Peter is saying to them. Don't sleep on Jesus then. But don't sleep on Jesus now. Okay. We have to hurry. Verse 17. Yet now brethren. I know that you did it. In ignorance. Hmm. Interesting. As did also your rulers. Hmm. Now Peter even though it may seem to suggest that. You're joking. I've got 10 minutes left. Now, Peter is not letting them off the hook by saying this. Oh, Brian just gives me the 10-minute countdown. <laughs> Before I was talking to myself. Or <laughs> Peter is not letting them off the hook by saying this, even though it seems that way. That is, the fact that they, watch this, denied him. The fact that they substituted the guilty Barabbas with the innocent Jesus. The fact that they killed the prince or the author of life. He isn't excusing their actions by saying they done it ignorantly. Oh, I know you done it. You never really knew what he was doing. No, that's not what he's saying. He, is, he isn't excusing their actions but clarifying that they willfully ignored the evidence. That's what he means when he said, said, you did this ignorantly. You willfully ignored the evidence. They ignored their own conscience. They ignored the miracles, signs, and wonders. And they ignored the prophetic scriptures. Verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Peter, if you like, says, well, you know what? You lot did it before. You ignored the evidence when you crucified Christ. You saw him healing in your streets. You saw him opening blind eyes, healing those who were deaf. You saw him, but yet you chose to firm it. And you ignored willfully the evidence. He says, look, you did that before today. Don't do it again. Because that same Jesus, you can't get away from him, you know. That same Jesus is still performing them same miracles and he's not here. That's further evidence. Because we did it in his name. And look, the miracle, the man is running up and down in front of you. You did it once before. Will you now do it again? That is willfully ignore the evidence. No. No. Don't do it again, Peter implores. He says, repent, verse 19. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Who would not want times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord on the basis of having their sins blotted out? Only a madman or someone who's not prepared to think about death until he's at their door. See? It says, Repent. That he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. See? You've heard it before. Because it's the same message. This is nothing new. Peter says, get used to hearing it and begin appreciating it. Back then, when they wrote words on documents, the ink didn't penetrate the paper as it does today because of the acids that we use, because of the acids that we add to the ink. So a mistake could be corrected by just blotting or wiping the ink to smear out the word means it's the opposite to wiping on oil in the Greek it is to smear off he's saying God can just remove your sins in a sense as easy as it is to block fresh ink off of paper or whatever it was they wrote on your sins are my sins Jesus can remove them verse 21 this same Jesus, the sin remover, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, <coughs> excuse me, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Hey, hello, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Now you find This prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, I remember Steve asked me one day, who's this individual that they refer to as the coming one? They said to John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Well, this is what it refers to, Deuteronomy 18, verse 23. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, to you first that implies that he's going somewhere else if they don't accept it. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning, every, turning away every one of you from your iniquities. <sighs> Peter isn't sharing his testimony, although it's a part of his testimony. How many of you know sharing your testimony is so vital? It's valuable. But you know what? As necessary as it is for us to share our testimonies, it's subjective. Sharing our testimony is encouraging for believers, but it's subjective. Sharing our testimony is great and beneficial as it reminds us of what the Lord has done for us. But it's subjective. What Peter does here is completely objective. Subjective is partial or biased. That's just how I feel, what I think. And as I communicate it in those terms, you're not going to argue with me because it's what I think. You can't take my testimony away from me, right? That's subjective, it's biased, right? Objective, an objective perspective on the other hand is impartial. It's unbiased, it's independent and it's unprejudiced. Peter here doesn't share his own private stories that may have convinced him personally he draws for or draws on objective, undisputable evidence. That which has been spoken, not by me, if you like, says Peter, but I'm drawing on that which has been spoken of by the law and the prophets, which is what it's going to take to convince these well-versed, Pentateuch publishing, Torah reading, Torah reciting. You have to remember the crowd. These Torah memorizing. These men who were listening to him could quote whole sections of the Old Testament verbatim. Be like Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You go away and come back half an hour later. The man's in Genesis chapter 18 verse 1 quoting it verbatim from heart. These Torah memorizing Jewish Old Testament law of Moses advocates. That's that's who he's trying to convince. So he uses the law and the prophets. And you know what? Nothing ain't ain't changed. It's still going to take what? The word of God which is sharper than any two-edged sword, which is living and active, Hebrews 4, piercing and dividing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Peter knows that sharing anything less will have no guaranteed effect. Next week we will see the results. Actually, another 2,000 people get saved. Amen. Amen. We've definitely come to the end. Let's pray. And thank the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us. There's nothing more we can do to make you love us more. You love us. And you've, you've already demonstrated. Oh, show me that you love me. And you're like, I've already done it. What more can I do? Lord, help us to embrace that love that is for us and that love that comes to us and your salvation and your forgiveness that also comes to us. And it comes to us by virtue of that message, the message of the gospel, the good news, in the light of so much bad news. Yet, Father, it takes faith to appropriate it, not good works. It takes faith. It takes us being able to trust that the sacrifice of Christ was enough. And then begin to walk by faith, not by sight or feelings, or by what anybody says. But to walk by faith, trusting and believing that. Help us not to cast off our confidence. Because in our confidence there is great recompense of reward. Father, thank you today for your word. And the fact that it's not my word to your people, Lord. It's your word to your people. As I Law and the prophets, thank you, Lord, for rock solid, subjective, no objective truth this afternoon. In Jesus' name, thank you, Amen.